This is a true story with YB Lee. an undergraduate, I attended a couple of different state schools, choosing the first for its proximity to New York City. I didn't get the crew scholarship at Columbia, so I couldn't afford it. So I went to the University at Stony Brook for my first two years, thinking that an hour-long train ride was close enough to New York City to allow me to call myself a New Yorker. I think we all know that upstate New York doesn't really count. So after my first two years, I went to the University at Buffalo and decided that I wanted to write and, yeah, contributed various bad poetry and short stories to the State University at Buffalo creative press. Um, But the most interesting story I have comes from my time as a cub reporter with The Spectator. Uh, The Spectator was the University at Buffalo newspaper, insert air quotes here. I'm not sure I had ever seen anyone read the newspaper. It was something merely that kind of was in the union in stacks, and then it wouldn't be. So people were picking it up, maybe, uh, and taking it to their dorms and their apartments, but I'm not really sure if anyone ever read anything I wrote. I, thinking back now, I spent a lot of time in the offices calling myself a reporter of The Spectator, but I'm not even sure if anything had ever gotten printed. Anything that I ever wrote got printed or published. So one of perhaps the only story that I wanted to cover, I went to the editor and her name at the time, very unfortunately, was um, Bonnie Butkiss. And Bonnie Butkiss was kind of everything that I thought I wanted to be. Cool, of course, short hair, the editor, someone in power. And I went up and I said there was a man coming to speak at the student union at one of the lecture halls. I think it was the black student union and the the Muslim student union who invited Farrakhan to come speak at the University of Buffalo. And I went to Bonnie Butkus and I said, I'd like to cover this. I've heard some things about Louis Farrakhan. And I think uh, we should cover this story, and I'd like to go. And no one at the publication for a student body of 40,000 had any interest in seeing Louis Farrakhan speak. This could be because the entire uh, newspaper staff was white, but uh, she said, okay, go for it. And on that night, I think it was in February, I remember it was very cold, and I had my little, my newspaper notebook and I went to uh, the lecture hall and sat down unobtrusively I thought in the center of the auditorium lecture hall it was easy to find me because no one was there Uh, I think total 12 people in what would be a 500 seat lecture hall there were about 13 other people there 13 or 14 other people and I was the only white person there so I sat in the middle. They kept the lights on, I think. And that I remember that the lights being on 
and bright. I thought it was going to be darkened and we were going to watch someone speak, Louis Farrakhan speak. So it began, I think, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, about 20 black men in suits file out onto the the center of the lecture hall and below where the professor would usually speak or the teacher. 20, 20 men walk out, suited up, just dressed to the nines, marching in unison and line the uh, area of the stage behind the podium. And there might have been an introduction. I honestly, this was very long ago, and I don't really remember that part. But I remember him coming out and uh, listening to him speak. And it wasn't a surprise, everything he was talking about. Uh, this was his speaking tour. But what was the surprise is when he spoke to me and uh, pointed me out. I think at the time he called me the blonde-haired cheerleader up there in the middle row. I I remember feeling honored and lucky. And that's my memory of Louis Farrakhan. I, he had mentioned that the Nation of Islam, one of the, one of the intentions was to find a home and I think my question was, where would that home be? And what would that look like? Like physically, where is that home? Called, when he called me the blonde, the blonde, blue-eyed cheerleader, he wasn't far off. You know, I had the blonde hair and the ponytail. And then I remember him apologizing. Was it when I was seated and he looked at me and he said, I'm sorry? I, it, or was it at the microphone? That part I can't remember. But I do remember not only him speaking directly to me and kind of gesturing to me, but also as a way of kind of being dismissively, I'm sorry, you know, I, I'm using you and I'm sorry. But those words did come out of his mouth. So I think maybe I'm the only white person Louis Farrakhan apologized to, um, which is weird when now I think about it. That's kind of a cultural, political um, touchstone that no one else can lay claim to. I wrote up a story about this um, with his quotes and um, I think a quote from someone who spoke before him, if I remember the announcer, something. I think I might have gotten feedback from the 13 other people that were seated there. And I went and wrote up my story for our editor at The Spectrum, Bonnie Butkus did not get published. They did not have the inches for it, for uh, an interview with Louis Farrakhan. It was noted, however, that the response from the university was less than uh, spectacular. And I think the unions went back to their student body. It might have been reported on local news that he had spoken. I don't remember a camera there or another um, reporter it was kind of an embarrassment both for the Nation of Islam and for the university that their lack of political initiative was kind of an embarrassment. And about a month later, there was a second invitation extended to Louis Farrakhan. He came back and spoke then to a packed lecture hall. And to that, I was not sent as the reporter. To that, Bonnie Buttkiss, I think, or another uh, senior staff writer on the paper went to ask them questions and they published that story. So unfortunately they missed out on my um, first and only foray into uh, reporting and it scarred me forever. That was a true story. 